Hey, good morning, church. How's everybody this morning? Well, if you are a first-time visitor at Idaho Bible Church, we trust that already you have sensed that this is a place that loves Jesus and that you have been, have been uh, extended the warm hand of, of fellowship in Christ's name and that if you're looking for a church family, maybe you found it. We would love to think that was true. Right, everybody? Yeah? Yeah. So if uh, we can help you to know us better, let us uh, just bring that to our attention. We've got some materials we can just pass along to you that will introduce you to IBC and some of the places that we're coming from and, and uh, things we're involved in. We'd love for you to be a part of that with us. But this part of our time together uh, is designed to allow us to worship God through the study of his word. We've worshiped him in song and through our giving and through prayer. And uh, our fellowship is part of that, but now we get to enjoy him through his word. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, please, to take your Bible, turn with me into the New Testament, or your iPad, or your phone, whatever your Bible happens to be on these in this day of technology, to Acts chapter 13. Acts is in the New Testament, Acts chapter 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then comes Acts. Chapter 13, if you need a Bible this morning, you got out of the house without yours, just raise your hand. We keep some in the back. Be happy to share a copy of God's Word with you. And if you don't own a Bible, you keep this Bible. You write your name in it and let it be a gift from our church family to you. There is a note page in your bulletin. We ask you to grab that as well. We think that will be of some help, I think, along the way as we're moving through. And church family, you can immediately discern by glancing at this little note page that today we're launching a brand new study series. And and I'm excited about this. I'm very excited about this. As you can see, the title of the series is Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Everything. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you agree with me in this, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're about to step into a verse-by-verse walk through the amazing New Testament book of Galatians. And I say, as I say that, I am, I am I'm really excited about the prospect of doing that with you. And part of my excitement, I confess, is rooted in the fact that I had intended that we would actually be sharing this study series a year ago. Literally, a year ago, this time, we would be in this place doing what we're doing right now but the holy spirit had other ideas and when i have one idea and the holy spirit has another idea i've learned that it's usually best to go with his idea and so that's what we did sadly you and i we don't always do that we don't always go with him but hopefully we do most of the time So this series, it actually feels in my soul kind of like a thoroughbred racehorse that's been in the starting gate for a year. And uh, it's snorting and it's stomping and it's pushing and it's pressing against the gate for it to be open so that that that, that thoroughbred can just explode out of the gate. And it's been waiting for a year. And that's, that's how I feel. Because I see the book of Galatians as really a book that just explodes with some amazing truth. So powerful, so profound, so personal and practical for how to live the Christian life and really live it in in, in a way that honors God and is for our good. The message of Galatians distilled down is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I'd love for us to say it out loud together. Can we do that? 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We are going to be unpacking that truth for as long as we're in this, this study together. This is the core. This is the message of the letter. And if you and I don't get anything else, if you don't have any other takeaways that, that you derive from this particular study series as we share it over the next few months, but if you get this one truth, this truth right here, and you really, really get it, well, then I'm going to be cheering so loud and for so long I'm going to lose my voice, and Brandon will have to do the next series all by himself. You know, if someone were to ask you six, from, six months from now or maybe a year from now or ten years from now, what is the heart of the Galatian letter? Which is really the question, what is the heart of Christian truth? And you didn't hesitate for one second to say, oh, that's easy. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If that was what popped into your head immediately, then I would humbly thank God and say, yes, I'd be cheering. Because that's what we want to be able to do by the time we're done with this series. The book of Galatians brings us face to face and over and over and over again during the course of its six chapters. It brings us face to face with the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? We hear that word. If you had to right now, you had to give an answer for what is the gospel Would you be able to do that? We think we might know, but we don't always know. On your page there, I have taken a stab at what I would respond with here. The gospel is who Jesus is and what he has done appropriated into my life by grace through faith. That's the gospel. Who Jesus is, what he has done appropriated into my life by grace through faith. Is that the gospel to you? Who Jesus is, eternal, holy, sinless, sovereign God, clothed in human flesh. That's who Jesus is. What has he done? Well, he came into my sinful world, your sinful world. He died on a cross to pay a debt that we could never pay, assume the penalty for our sin that we could never pay. He rises from the dead as victor over our sin, over death and the grave, And he then gives us his spirit to live inside of us so that we can do the Christian life right now. And he leaves us with the promise that we will spend eternity with him forever. That's what he's done. Who Jesus is, what he has done, I appropriate that truth into my life by grace. God's grace. Not because I deserve it or because I merited it or or God uh, saw something good in me that uh, would cause him to want me to be a part of his program. It's pure grace. I didn't deserve it. But he gives all that to me. And I appropriate that into my life through faith. Simple, childlike trust in Jesus. Who he is and what he has done. The gospel. Now, he presented in an equationary way equationary i think i just coined a new word i don't think that word even exists right but if you were to put this whole thought of of uh, who jesus is and what he's done appropriated in my life by grace through faith and you put that in an equation what would the equation look like say it yes and again if you don't remember anything else remember believe and live this and you're going to do the christian life great 
Now, fellow lover of Jesus, today it would be my perception that it is very common in Christian circles to assume that the gospel is something that we think mainly is for those who don't know Jesus in a saving way yet. That it's for them, mostly. The gospel is for the non-Christian. We who have been in the church for a while, um, we kind of slide into this place, I think, without even being aware of it, slide into the place of seeing the gospel as a set of of kind of basic uh, ABCs of Christian truth that that are for someone who doesn't know Jesus to be able to get into a relationship with God through Jesus. We often assume that once we have crossed over from death to life through faith in him, well, then we don't need to hear or really study or understand the gospel so much anymore. What we really need to do is move on to the hard stuff, the advanced stuff, the more meaty stuff, right? I got the gospel when I got in, and I'm I'm, I'm moving on. But I would want to just tell you that is not true. That is absolutely not true. We never outgrow the need to live in the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we're in this book and committed to this series. In this short letter, the Holy Spirit, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, unfolds the explosive, life-defining truth for all of us in this room that the gospel is the whole of the Christian life for the whole of the Christian's life. That's what it is. Jesus plus nothing equals everything for you and me today. The gospel isn't just the way we enter the kingdom of God. The gospel is the way we live as joy-filled, difference-making people in the kingdom of God. And we need to understand it in all of its beauty and power. So Galatians is all about the gospel, which all of us need throughout all of our life as a Christian. Galatians really is for all of us today. So there's the title on your little note page, Galatians equals us, because it's really for us. The gospel in Galatians hold truths that will explode out of the gate, hopefully beginning today, And into our hearts, and man, we will just have this truth. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we will live that out. So Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. By the power of your Spirit, take your word, bring it to life for us. Set the table for us today as we introduce ourselves to this this, powerful truth and to the truth of your gospel. And we all say together... Amen and amen. All right, let's get going then. And to begin to zero in on this amazing book that's going to be our traveling companion for a while, to do that, let's just start not in Galatians, but where your Bible is open right now. I asked you to to be open to the book of Acts, and you are in Acts chapter 13. Are we all there? Okay. The story of Galatians begins in about the year 48 A.D. So, uh, about well, less than 20 years, really, from Jesus' death and his resurrection, this letter is being written. And there is a church family in the northern region of Syria, living in the city of, of Antioch. And we've got a map up here. Let me just, let's just do a quick geography lesson uh, for all of us. Mediterranean Sea right here. This would be North Africa here. Uh, Israel today on this side, and this part of the map 
is the modern-day country of Turkey. And right here, kind of in south-central Turkey today, is this region called Galatia. And this is where um, our attention is going to be focused as it relates to this particular letter. That, that church in, here in Antioch, this church in Antioch in, in northern Syria, this was Paul's, the Apostle Paul's home church. It was also the home church of another key leader in the early church, a guy by the name of Barnabas. And it was in this church at Syrian Antioch, you might remember, that the followers of Jesus were first called what? Christians. This is where the first time we ever hear that term, it comes out of this little church in Antioch in Syria. And it's a name that obviously has stuck. This Antioch uh, congregation was a missions-minded church family, like IBC strives to be. We strive to to have the, the, the gospel going where? All over the place, right? All over the world, into different places, other cultures, other lives. We have a very vital, alive missions uh, ministry here at IBC and a wonderful missions team. And so did the church at Antioch. So one day, AD 48, well, let's just pick up the story. Verse 2, Acts 13. You follow along, I'll read for us from my Bible. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so this church family has gotten together and they're worshiping God, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, that's another name for Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So they've gone to the island of Cyprus, as you see there on your map, and they're going to preach Jesus. They're going to preach the gospel, who he is and what he has done, appropriated into your life by grace through faith. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And they're preaching this on the island of Cyprus. And then if we had time to read the rest of Acts 13 and, and, and chapter 14, we know that they leave Cyprus and they set sail from there to southern Turkey. Or this, yeah, which would be modern-day Turkey. But you see, kind of watch the map, and, and they set sail and they land in Perga, if you can see that from where you're sitting. And then they make their way inland to another city called Antioch, but it's in Pisidia. Then they kind of go to the east and they head into Galatia, Iconium, Lystra, Derby were some of the, the major cities there. And, and as they go into this part of, of Galatia, man, it's tough. It's hard, tough, resistant work. They encounter those who, who really want nothing to do with the claims of Jesus. And so they... Plant churches, though, because there are a few who embrace this gospel that they are preaching, this truth that's being proclaimed. They retrace their steps, as you see there on the map, and little congregations, mostly non-Jewish folks in these churches, they pop up, and really no surprise because the Holy Spirit wanted this work to happen in this area. And so if the Holy Spirit wanted it, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. You're not going to stop it. You might as well hold back the ocean. So Paul and Barnabas then return to Antioch, we're told in chapter 14, and they report on the good work that um, 
God has done, and they're reporting back to their home church. So here we have now a time, roughly A.D. 48. We have a place somewhere in central, south-central Turkey, and now we need a situation that would prompt the writing of this letter by Paul. For that, we need to leave Acts and head straight for Galatians. So you want to move to the right in your Bible, jump over a few books, uh, jump over Romans and the Corinthian letters, and the very next book that you're going to find will be Galatians and chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. So shortly after Paul plants these churches in the region of Galatia by preaching the true gospel, which is what? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You're going to just say, Tim, we got it, we got it. Don't keep doing that. But we're going to keep doing that. After he preaches this and has established leaders in these churches and has come back, false teachers come in behind Paul in the Galatian area into those cities and they start presenting a different gospel, a different gospel. Who were these false teachers? Well, we know that the first followers of Jesus were Jewish and, and Christianity was centered initially in Jerusalem. But as the gospel spread out from its center, uh, increasing numbers of non-Jews, Gentiles, like most of us in this room, uh, began to trust and believe in Jesus. It was exactly what Jesus wanted. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you remember Jesus says... And you will take the gospel from Jerusalem to where? To Judea, from Judea to Samaria, and from Samaria to what? The entire earth, the whole earth. Take the truth of the gospel. Who I am and what I've done, take that to the whole world. And so the Galatian churches are really um, the fulfillment of the wish of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. However, now, a group of false teachers in Galatia, uh, perhaps they've come from Jerusalem, we, we don't know for sure, but they're called Judaizers, and they've come in now behind Paul and Barnabas and their church planting effort, and they began to smear Paul's name and his reputation and call into question his authority, his, his right, his credibility to be a spokesman for Jesus Christ. But way worse than that, than just discrediting him, they are teaching these brand new believers in Jesus that they must practice all of the traditional ceremonial customs of the laws of Moses, the Mosaic law, like like the Jews did. They were teaching that these Gentiles had to observe, for example, the dietary rules, regulations that the Jews observed. They had to observe all of the Jewish holy days the holidays that the Jewish people observed. And the Gentile men had to be circumcised just like the Jews were in order to be fully accepted by God to earn his good pleasure and his blessing. You need Jesus plus these other things. That was the gospel that they were presenting. You can believe in Jesus if you'd like, but you must do all these other things too to be really saved, to be really forgiven, to be really acceptable and loved by God. Well, about a year after Paul and Barnabas had been in this Galatian area doing this work, 
So it's now late 49, early 50 A.D. Paul gets wind that this has happened, that these false teachers have come in. And he is absolutely livid. I don't even know how to describe to you how angry he would have felt. It was, if you'd have handed him a railroad spike, he would have taken it and bit it right off. He's so mad when he hears what the Judaizers are doing to the understanding of these new believers in the churches that they planted. He is really, really angry. He immediately writes this letter as his response, intending that it make its way to each of these churches that he has been a part of. And so it's going to be kind of like a group letter. No other letter of Paul is like this. It'll be kind of a circular letter meant for many eyes in several locations. Paul writes many other letters to individual churches, sometimes to individuals. So this is kind of a one-of-a-kind letter. Now, Paul will eventually go back through these cities in Galatia on another trip that he's going to take. But this letter is going to run before him. Now, if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long and you know your New Testament somewhat well, you've read Paul's letters, uh, you're going to notice right away that the way Paul writes, the tone of this letter is different from all the other letters that he writes. Most of his letters begin with a customary greeting, some kind of a warm remark. There'll be some thanksgiving words and some, some commendations for the ones that he's writing to, some encouragement to them. And then he'll often include a prayer that he's been praying for that church or for that person that he's writing. And then he'll get into the, the, the heart or the body of his letter. That's his normal way, but not here. This one goes like this. Hi. I'm Paul. Grace and peace to you. What in the world are you doing? (laughs) That's pretty much it. That's the tone with which this letter is written. We easily catch the sense of that in the very beginning of the very, very beginning of the letter. We're going to take a look at verses one through five, but check out verse six and you'll catch catch a sense of how Paul's feeling. I am what? I'm astonished. He says, I can't believe it. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different what? A different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Accursed. Do you know what Paul's saying? Let that person be hellbound if they preach to you a gospel other than the one we preached when we first were with you. Verse 9. Do you think he's ticked off? Man, he's ticked off. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, in case you missed this, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be hellbound. Man, that's that's about as angry as you'll ever see Paul. He's kind of like a volcano about to explode. He is so incensed that these false teachers uh, have, have, have come in and and lied about the gospel. And he's also, he's also upset that the Galatians would be so quickly sucked in to the lie. If you look in chapter 3 and verse 1, look what he writes there. 
Oh, foolish Galatians! Exclamation point. Who has what? Who has bewitched you? Who has sold you this bill of goods? Jesus plus Mosaic law, Jewish customs and traditions and rituals and ceremonial practices in order for you to be saved? Really? That's not the gospel. That's a lie. From the first day I met you, I gave you God's message, His gospel. And what is it? Jesus plus Everything, yes. The false teachers are coming in and they're saying, no, 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 no. It's Jesus plus other things equals everything. And that's not the gospel. Because Jesus plus anything ruins everything, doesn't it? That would be Paul's conviction. And ours. Now, 21st century Christian attending Idlewild Bible Church today the specific controversy facing the Galatian believers may seem rather remote and disconnected from where you do life right now. The reason I say that is because I'm guessing none of you in this room is losing any sleep right now over whether you should be observing Jewish ceremonial or dietary or ritual practices. Is that true? Any of you worrying about that? No, you're not. But that's really at the center of this letter as Paul is writing to this group of people. But really, the Holy Spirit through Paul is actually addressing in Galatians an abiding, timeless, all-important, eternity-impacting truth that touches everybody in this room. And the truth is this. There must never be confusion in our hearts and our minds as followers of Jesus about what the nature of the gospel really is. That's the heart of the letter. You must know what the nature of the gospel really is. Galatians is for us today, brothers and sisters. It's for us because if we insist on Jesus plus anything else as the way of moving into a relationship with God, We are living out a different gospel. For us, it's not Jesus plus Jewish ceremonial law. We get that, right? But listen, it's also not Jesus plus my church attendance or Jesus plus baptism or Jesus plus communion taking, or Jesus plus confession of my sins, or Jesus plus my Bible reading program, or Jesus plus my good thought life. It's not Jesus plus my serving at church. It's not Jesus plus my diligence to pray every day. It's not Jesus plus my tithing. Jesus plus not drinking, not getting high, not coveting, not lusting, not stealing, not lying, or a thousand other dark deeds that we can do. Now, I cannot tell you over the years how many people I have engaged in conversation who have sincerely expressed to me, and these are professing Christians who have, who have, have revealed their heart to me in a conversation, their confusion about the place that their own efforts hold in their relationship with their God. 
And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've probably had the same conversations. This person blows it. This Christian blows it in their Christian life and, and they're unsettled. What does God think of me now? Does He like me now? Does He want me now? Does He hear me now? Does He have a desire for me anymore? Because I blew it so badly. In that case, it's Jesus plus my efforts define my relationship, right? Or, on the other side of it, you succeed and your your self-defined righteous strategies are going well for you and you you feel secure and, and good about yourself and your relationship with God. Either of these perspectives reveals a disturbing, unbiblical, sad confusion about the nature of the gospel, what it is in your life, what it means in your life. Now, part of the reason I believe this confusion is alive and well, perhaps even in this room right now this morning, confusion about the place of Jesus plus other things to make my relationship with God work. Now, the reason I believe that confusion sometimes is, is present in our heart and in our mind is because deep down within our sinful core, there is this very difficult-to-put-to-death desire to have something to do with our salvation. And I think it's a carryover from the very first sin that we all have, which is the sin of pride. But, but, but within the, the folds of our sin nature, there is this desire to want to have a part in our being saved. We want to have something to do with that. We would never voice it, but we conceal it within the folds of our thinking because of our confusion about the true gospel. And we get this idea of wanting to be able to say, God, aren't you lucky to have me on your team? Because I did this and this and this. And we would never say that. But it's, it's, it's underneath sometimes. You know, we can add nothing to the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Nothing. And it is His pure grace that we're on His team at all. Amen? Jesus and His cross and His empty tomb define our existence and drive everything about our Christian life. Now, as I say all of this, please do not take what I'm saying farther than I'm intending it. Do good works and right thoughts and a determination to avoid evil and sin um, in the Christian life, do they have a place? Absolutely, they do have their place. We are to flee sin. We are to escape temptation. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness and be known for doing good that points other people to Jesus. But only... Only and ever as an expression of our love for the one who has already saved us, never as the means for us being saved. Right? Paul will forcefully and unapologetically fight with the last ounce of his strength against this this different gospel that threatens these young Galatian believers. That is his purpose the Holy Spirit's purpose, really, for writing this letter. Because if you, you lose your grip on the true gospel and you desert that for Jesus plus other things, you've essentially lost Jesus. Everything that's eternally important to you and me is at stake in this letter. 
That's why we're studying it. Would you like to share it with me for the next several months? Do you have a choice? (laughs) Probably not. Unless the Holy Spirit says we're going somewhere else again next week. No, this is where we're headed. All right. Well, on your note page, we're at a place there near the bottom of your page where it says the whole book in five. Do you see that? Are you with me there? The whole book in five. And that means the whole book in five verses, not in five minutes. Okay, just, uh, just so we got that clear. Now, since we've taken the time to set the stage and we understand what Paul is dealing with and that he is literally hopping mad because of the threat that the Galatian believers are under because of the Judaizers, he, as we've already mentioned, is going to waste no time getting into the heart of his message, which is what again? Yes, we sort of conglomerated that together, right. Who Jesus is, what he has done, done, appropriated in my life by grace through faith, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He's going to waste no time getting us there. Remember, unlike all the other letters. So Paul jumps in with both feet in these five opening verses. He literally summarizes the entire six chapters of his letter in the first five verses. And what that really means for us in this moment is that we can share these verses rather quickly, knowing that we're going to get to come back again over and over and over uh, and drill down deep into the gospel truth that he presents here at the very beginning. So dispensing with his usual soft touch introductory style, he writes this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's quite the introduction, isn't it? Who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) The whole gospel in a couple of verses, right? You just got it. I just got it. Galatian brothers and sisters, let me just get a few things off my chest right here at the very beginning. And the first thing he says is, I am the mouthpiece for Jesus' cross. In case you don't remember this, Galatian brothers and sisters, I am the mouthpiece of Jesus' cross. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Now, recall that earlier we mentioned that the false teachers in Galatia have come in behind Paul And they've done just everything that they can possibly do to undermine his credibility, smear his good name, called into question his pedigree as as God's mouthpiece. They've distorted his message. They come in and they've essentially said, hey, you Galatians, that guy Paul who, who told you that all you needed was Jesus to be truly saved, well, he's a nobody. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was never part of that group. He was was never with Jesus. He wasn't taught by Jesus. He has no authority to speak for God or for Jesus to you. He's nothing, they've said. We've got the good stuff. 
And you need to listen to us. Jesus plus other things equals everything. Paul's authority, his credibility has been damaged and it is in question. And he knows it. Now, this is by way of an illustration. If, 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 if you're a child and you have a disagreement with your brother or sister as to who is right or wrong in some situation, what do you do? When there's a disagreement between the two of you, what do you do? Well, you might appeal to a higher power, right? Which would be your mom or your dad to help you settle your disagreement. Um, if you're an adult and you have a disagreement with another adult, sometimes you have to appeal to a higher power. You may need to appeal to a judge in a court of law to settle that disagreement. But when there is a disagreement between people involving something as serious as salvation, where you're going to spend your eternity and how that's going to look, forgiveness of sin and being right with God, who do you appeal to then? Well, you appeal to the highest power of all, don't you? God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And that is exactly what Paul does right here. Paul, an apostle, that means one sent with a commission, one sent with a message, an apostle who did not get his message from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. The gospel I left to you, Galatians, was not thought up by me, wasn't thought up by some other man. It wasn't handed down by some group to me. What you got, Galatians, came straight to you from Jesus through me. But it's from Jesus. He taught me. And I passed that on to you. It's as if Paul is saying right at the very beginning... You're never going to get a more authoritative, credible, solid enough to build your whole life upon truth than the one that Jesus gave you through me because it wasn't me who gave it to you. Jesus gave it to you. If you push aside Jesus plus nothing equals everything, if you push aside that message that you heard from me, it's no different than if you had pushed it away from Jesus himself. That's how serious this is to him. Paul will a little bit later on in this letter go to much greater lengths to defend his authority, his right to speak. But he's just laying it out here at the very beginning. You make no mistake, I am the mouthpiece of Jesus' cross, divinely commissioned, and God and Jesus have no other message for you Galatians than the one that I gave you. Now, just kind of as a a quick little diversion here, brothers and sisters, today, how blessed, how blessed are you and I to be able to hold the words of Jesus, the words of God by His Spirit in our hands? How blessed are we? How fortunate we are. We don't have to wrestle with the credentials of people, check out their pedigree, how many letters they have after their name, hope that they're legitimate and they're truth tellers. We can go straight to Jesus. We can go straight to His Word, can't we? The Galatians didn't have that luxury. They didn't have the Scriptures like you and I do. What does the Bible say? We can ask that any time, can't we? What does Jesus say? And we go straight to the book. 
That's why we are what? Idlewild Bible Church, right? Because that's our conviction that Jesus talks to us through the book. It doesn't matter what Tim says. It doesn't matter what Brandon says. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters what Jesus says. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Paul doesn't miss a chance to mention that all-important fact because a dead Jesus is no gospel giver, right? He's no savior. He is risen. (laughs) He's risen indeed, yes? Yeah. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Paul wishes them the unmerited kindness of God that they don't deserve. His grace. And the peace that comes from being in a right relationship with him. Grace and peace. And then in verses 4 and 5, he encapsulates the full gospel. The true gospel. Watch this with me. Flip your note page over um, and, and, and we'll just rapidly move through this. Paul's saying, if you want to know in your heart of hearts that you are accepted by God, forgiven by God, justified, pronounced not guilty before a holy God, in a right, saving relationship with Him, you need look no farther than the cross of Jesus. And this is what we all need to hear. Paul draws our attention to five key facets of the true gospel, and he does it in two verses, starting with the willingness of Jesus cross grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ who what gave himself church family the mission of Jesus from the very very beginning before the world was even created was the cross his death on the cross for you for me for our sin that was his mission he was in the truest sense Born to die. Born to die. And he knew that. He came into our world knowing that. And that's why he will say in John chapter 10, there on your note page, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It's another way of saying I lay it down willingly. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. No one takes my life from me, but I willingly lay it down for you. Is that not the true gospel? One of the best known preachers in America in the 1800s might be a name you wouldn't know, but he was on a par with with, uh, Spurgeon who preached in England, but he was an American preacher. His name was Octavius Winslow, he writes a paragraph that's just too good not to pass on to you. Listen to what he writes. He says, When Jesus could give us no more, and the fathomless depths of his love and the boundless resources of his grace would not be satisfied by giving us less, he gave us himself. Robed in our nature, laden with our curse, oppressed with our sorrows, wounded for our transgressions, and slain for our sins, he gave his entire self for us. Is that good? 
When we talk about the true gospel, it's always going to be the story of what Jesus did, not what we do and set alongside of Jesus, right? That was the false gospel that the Judaizers were trying to put in front of the Galatians. No, Jesus chose to die so he could so we could be accepted and embraced by God, sinners though we be. And that brings us to the purpose of Jesus' cross there on your little note page. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. That little word for in verse 4 means on our behalf. Jesus Christ gave himself on behalf of or for our sins. Jesus' death on the cross was not as some might want to put forth today, just some kind of a wonderful, great, benevolent, compassionate, loving object lesson of how you are to sacrificially give yourself for others. Jesus' death was not just an example for us to follow of loving sacrifice. Jesus' death was for our what? Our sins. Because we are what? Sinners. His death was a substitution. It was a death in our place. He traded places with us on that cross. He piled every one of our sins, yours, mine, and every other person who has ever lived or will live. He takes them onto himself. He dies in our place. He pays the debt of death and separation from God that we owed God because of our sin. And he does it willingly, but he does it in our place. As Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, there on your page, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a what? As the payment price, as the ransom for our sin. Because Jesus really did die on our behalf, we can never, ever be condemned to an eternity without God. (laughs) When our faith is in Jesus alone. Yes? Let me say that one more time. Because Jesus really did die on our behalf for our sin. We can never, ever be condemned to an eternity without God when our faith is in Jesus alone. Amen and amen. Jesus did everything. We can add nothing to that. We can believe it, but we can't add to it. And yet that's what the false teachers were saying to the Galatians. No, no, you need Jesus plus other things in order to have everything. No. The true gospel is what? Jesus? Yes, Colton, way to go. Good job. And the effect of that, the the effect, what is the effect of Jesus' cross? Jesus gave himself for our sins, Paul says, to what? To deliver us from the present evil age, verse 4. The word deliver can also be translated rescued, and it is in other places in our Bible. How many of you um, are fans of the, the, the TV program Deadliest Catch? Anybody? Wow, I am really in a minority. Lisa, you and I are... Yeah, I see your hand, Lisa. I see that hand back there. <laughs> I, Lisa and I like this show. 
This, and, 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 and the newest season is on right now called Deadliest Catch. If you don't know what this show is about, you really need to check it out, I think. <laughs> I like it. it, it it's, it's, it's about crab fishermen in the Bering Sea. And it's a reality show. And I, and, and I like especially the moments in the show when there are these scenes of these guys fighting these terrific Alaskan storms and the, the wind is howling and the seas are mountains and these guys are working on the boat and it's just crazy dangerous. I love that part of the show. Now, if one of these crabbers goes over the side of the boat in a storm like that, what is everybody else on that boat going to do? Are they going to run up to the wheelhouse and grab a manual out of the wheelhouse on how to swim, run back down on the deck and throw that manual out to the guy who's in the water and say, read the page, but the stuff on page 18, especially those six things that you need to do. No. What are they going to do? They are going to grab a rope that has a life preserver on the end of it and they're going to throw that to that guy right now because what does he need? He doesn't need a manual on how to swim. He needs what? He needs rescue, doesn't he? He needs to be delivered. These Judaizers in Galatia, these false teachers, were throwing manuals to people who were drowning spiritually. Do this and this and this. Well, believe in Jesus if you like, but you've got to do this and this and this too. What they needed was rescue, right? They didn't need a manual on rules to weigh them down and drown them quicker. The cross of Jesus is our rope. It's our life preserver. We need rescue. Check out Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Two incredible verses in our Bibles. For he, that is God, has rescued us. Great word. Same word as, as, in, as in Galatians. Has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, this present evil age, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Jesus didn't just die to stop the death sentence that was hanging over us because of the sin in our life. He died also to rescue us from the power of this fallen world, which is ruled by Satan, so we could have a new life and, and live it differently while we're still here. The true gospel isn't just about getting to heaven. It's about living for heaven right now. Deliver us from the present evil age. That's the effect of Jesus' cross. And then Paul says this, is all according to the will of our God and Father, which is another Facet of the true gospel, the origin of Jesus' cross lies within the plans, purposes, and goodwill of God. And it always has, hasn't it? It's always been in His plan that He would send His Son into our world to die for us so that we could live for Him. On your note page, John 3.16 says it so loud and clear, For God so loved the world that He gave, He gave His Only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God the Father doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. Do you understand that? God the Father doesn't love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for us because God the Father loves us. There is a world of difference between those two truths, those two statements. 
It's not like our first parents, Adam and Eve, caught God off guard and rebelled against him in the garden and God had to come up with some kind of a salvation plan that would involve his son Jesus and he did it all rather reluctantly. The cross was God's purpose from the outset to put on display his incredible love for us. His lavish grace poured out from his heart into our hearts. The origin of the cross has always been the will of God. And then the goal of it all? What's the goal? What's the goal of Jesus' cross? Is it not God's greater glory? Verse 5. According to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's very hard for Paul, almost impossible, I would say, for him to unpack the true gospel and not erupt into praise when he thinks about the cross of Jesus. Who Jesus is, what he has done for us. It's so extraordinary, it's so undeserved that Paul can't, can't do anything but point it back to God and say, glory be to God forever and ever. We praise what we love, don't we? We promote what we are passionate about. We protect what is precious to us. And there was nothing that Paul loved more or was more passionate about or was more determined to protect than the true gospel. And the same could be said of Jesus. Only hours before the agonies of the cross, he will say, he's only hours away from hanging on the cross for you and me, he will say in John 17, lifting his eyes up to heaven, Father, the hour has come. It is now. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. The cross is all about the glory of God. And God is glorified by saving us in Jesus, with nothing else added. What is it again? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. (laughs) Jesus literally took hell into his heart, took our sin, took our death, so that God the Father could pour out heaven and his love into our hearts. And this brings him great, great glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. When anyone in any time, be it 1st century Galatia or 21st century Idlewild, tries to add to what Jesus has done at the cross, it diminishes the glory of God. May it never be here. May it never be. Jesus plus nothing really does equal everything. Amen. And amen. Let's pray. Well, wow. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for letting us get a Just a taste of what is ahead for us. What timeless truth. What what relevant, personal, practical, needed in our lives truth right now. Thank you that it is Jesus plus nothing. Oh, to to do life right now wondering if if Jesus was was enough, if we if we had done enough to to be in relationship with you would be a terrible thought. There are many religions in the world right now where that's exactly the way it is for the people who are living those religions. They're trying so hard to win approval when you've done it all. We thank you for the true gospel and a chance to share it and study it together. 
In this room right now, it's possible that that you've been in a place of thinking that, yeah, you need Jesus, but you need other things too. You need to do certain things to really be right with God. If that be you this morning, you need to you need to confess that and just say from now on, starting today, you drive a stake in the ground and you say, it's Jesus plus nothing for me from here on out because Jesus is everything. Let that be your new, your new cry, your new declaration. And perhaps if this morning, if you have never given your life to Jesus, this is the moment. This is the time. He came, died for you so that you could be with Him forever. He wants you to believe that and have your life changed. Let us help you do that. Let us help you in that new journey of faith. We'd love to. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We love you, but only because you loved us first. And all God's people said, Amen Amen and Amen. Let's stand together, church family. Let's sing.